and welcome to the Can Do MS podcast. My name is Rachel Lottie, and I'm the program's coordinator for Can Do Multiple Sclerosis. We're excited for today's podcast, which is the first episode in our three-part Relapse in MS series, where you'll learn how to manage potential relapse-related challenges at home, work, and in your relationships. In this podcast, you'll hear from members of the rehabilitation team as they share tips on how you can prepare yourself and your home after a relapse. The team will use a real-world scenario to demonstrate the transition from the hospital back to your home after an MS relapse occurs. With us today, we have physical therapist Mandy Rorig and occupational therapist Julianne Hansen to share their experiences, resources, and healthcare professionals that can help you prepare yourself and adjust your home life when you experience a relapse. So Mandy, would you please tell our audience a bit about your working experience as it relates to MS? Certainly. Thank you, Rachel. Hello, everyone. I'm really excited to be able to visit with you all today and to uh, talk with Julianne. Clinically, I work in an outpatient physical therapy setting where I specialize in helping people with MS and their family, as well as people who have balance issues. Uh, also, I'm on the programs team at CanDo Multiple Sclerosis, where I work as a senior programs consultant. Thanks, Rachel. And Julianne, would you tell us a little bit about your experience? Hi, and, and welcome everybody to the podcast. I too am excited to be a part of this and to have a discussion with Mandy about how to transition back into home and, and after a relapse. I work um, in Castle Rock, Colorado. I have a private practice. Um, I've worked with Can Do MS for the past 15 years uh, as a programs consultant, and I also um, specialize in neurorehabilitation, particularly uh, in recovery with multiple sclerosis and in doing a bodywork technique called myofascial release. Great. Well, thank you, ladies, for both being here with us today. So now, before we get into our discussion, Mandy, would you describe what a relapse is and what it really looks like? Sure. So relapses, which are often called exacerbations or flares, are generally characterized by new symptoms or worsening of existing MS symptoms. So by definition, these symptoms must last 24 hours, at least 24 hours, and be separated from the most recent attack or the most recent flare exacerbation by 30 days. So say, for example, perhaps you have a lot of numbness and tingling in your legs. If that seems to get worse and last longer than 24 hours, that may signify that there may be a relapse going on. Attacks or relapses or exacerbations, whatever you prefer to call them, are generally followed by periods of partial or complete recovery. The symptoms during this time can disappear or some symptoms can persist and become permanent. Relapses can be mild and people can recover within days or weeks or symptoms can often be quite severe and interfere with function and and can be ongoing and last many months. And this is often when the rehabilitation team physical therapists, occupational therapists, and speech therapists become involved. 
And for more involved relapses, neurologists may also uh, recommend some types of treatment. While sometimes more mild relapses, uh, they just simply may resolve on their own. But Julia, can you share with us a little bit about how the rehabilitation team helps people with MS manage their relapses? Yes, absolutely, Mandy. Um, as Mandy mentioned uh, just a moment ago, the rehabilitation team typically comprises three professionals. So that would be your physical therapist, an occupational therapist, or a speech-language uh, pathologist or therapist. And depending upon the, the type of symptoms that you have with an exacerbation or relapse, uh, you may see all three of those professionals. You may see just one of those professionals or any combination of them. Typically, rehabilitation or general treatment is, is aimed at symptom resolution or if the symptoms seem to be hanging around for some time, an adaptation so that the symptoms uh, don't interfere with your life as much as, as, as they may be. So, for instance, if strength or coordination is something or balance has been something that has been uh, affected by the relapse, um, we would be we would be looking at at restrengthening and 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 coordination exercises that that bring you back up to what we would call a baseline or a previous baseline, and that's usually where you were functioning before uh, a relapse may have may have started. So you would be working with your team and and deciding uh, how you were doing in your progress uh, as you're as you're going through your rehabilitation. Um, Rehab emphasis will likely be uh, directed according to the severity of the exacerbation and it can last anywhere from uh, one week or a couple of visits to uh, maybe a month or two. Fatigue management would be a big part of any kind of rehabilitation approach uh, because fatigue can sometimes be a, a big factor in coming through an exacerbation. So, Mandy, there is such a thing as a pseudo-exacerbation. How do those differ from an actual relapse? I'm glad you asked that question, Julianne. So, a true relapse or a true exacerbation differs from a pseudo-exacerbation generally by time. So, again, a true exacerbation must last 24 hours at a minimum, while pseudo-exacerbations are often brief flares of symptoms. For example, a bladder infection can cause increased spasticity uh, or perhaps heat, and uh, whether it be environmental heat or just an increase in core temperature as a result of exercise can cause worsening fatigue or worsening weakness. But the difference is once that aggravator is removed, whether the bladder infection is treated or whether you are able to go to a cooler environment, then that symptom that was irritated returns to its baseline presentation. But I think what's really important, if, if there's any question as to whether or not you're experiencing a relapse, contact your physician and they can help you distinguish what, what's actually going on, whether it's a pseudo-exacerbation or a true exacerbation that needs to be managed. Excellent. Thank you uh, both for sharing that informative information there. So now that we're all on the same page with what a relapse is and some general treatment options, I'd like to present a real-life scenario of a couple going through a relapse. 
And then we're going to hear some recommendations from Julianne and Mandy on how you can prepare yourself and modify your home life after a relapse occurs. So we have a couple in their 40s, Lucy and Michael. So Lucy has been diagnosed with MS for seven years now. Both her and her husband, Michael, are uh, full-time employed, and they have two children in elementary school. So Lucy's first relapse occurred at the time of her diagnosis, and it presented invisible symptoms like fatigue, depression, and cognitive changes. So currently, Lucy is in the hospital with her second relapse, and this one is presenting changes in her motor skills and challenges with typing, cooking, writing, and helping her kids with homework. She's also unable to walk well and uses a walker to help with drop foot and fatigue. So Lucy's about to be discharged from the hospital. Julianne, uh, what do you recommend she does before she actually leaves the hospital? So that's a good question, Rachel. She um, is likely going to be scheduled to see an occupational therapist in the hospital. Great. So that sounds like a really good opportunity for Lucy. What do you think that that visit with the occupational therapist looks like and what kind of tools might they recommend? So often in the inpatient setting or what we call the acute care setting of the hospital, you may only have one interaction with the occupational therapist and that may be the assessment. So what will happen in that assessment is the occupational therapy will come in and see Lucy and, and see how she's doing um, in terms of her basic mobility and her basic skills for getting around in the room, getting her clothes on and off, uh, doing uh, basic uh, grooming tasks. So they're going to be looking at how, how does her strength play into that, how does her coordination, how does her balance look. Out of that evaluation with her, uh, they may uh, often recommend um, some tools that she can go home with that will make her safer. So it could be something like a raised toilet seat or a shower chair. It could be something like a reacher uh, for helping her with getting dressed um, if her balance looks um, a little shaky at the moment for getting things up off the floor or what have you. So they would make a recommendation also at that time for what kind of assistance she might need upon returning home or what, what they would recommend in terms of, uh, of any kind of a rehabilitation flow for her, whether that be home health care or outpatient therapy. So now while Lucy is there, she, is, she should also have the opportunity to meet with the physical therapist. So Mandy, what does that visit with the, the, the PT look like? Yeah, so <clears throat> at times in an inpatient setting or an acute care setting, they, the patient may only see a PT one time, which may be similar to occupational therapy. So there's certainly some overlap between what the occupational therapist and what the physical therapist prioritize. And what we both prioritize is what Julianne described is, is safety. We prioritize mobility and access within the home in this type of a setting. So generally, a person with MS should not expect to go home with a comprehensive exercise program to help them return to their previous level of function, but rather they might just get a few exercises that help lead into that next uh, stage of therapy. But a PT would evaluate those gross motor skills such as walking, balance, coordination, strength, and then make recommendations in the home environment. So for Lucy, we would recommend probably a walker to help her manage her, her drop foot and make certain that she's safe with walking in the home. 
we would also probably recommend other tools that Julianne also alluded to, shower chairs, other devices that could be used in the kitchen or in the bathroom to just ensure that safety and appropriate fatigue management. But I think overall, it's important to remember that any of the tools recommended by physical therapy or occupational therapy at this stage are, are unfamiliar and they may be quite frightening for some, but they are tools that will help Lucy and others similar in a similar situation to, to stay safe, to stay mobile as she's able to recover. And often these devices are only temporary, so people need to keep that in mind as they move forward. Great, yeah. So now we, we have an idea of what, what it looks like while Lucy is at the hospital. So now Lucy is going to be coming home, and she has a walker. And just as a reminder, she's experienced changes in her motor skills, challenges with cooking, writing, and helping her kids with homework. Again, she's um, unable to walk well and is experiencing drop foot and fatigue. So Julianne, what can Lucy do to make sure she's safe in her home when she gets there? Right, exactly, Rachel. And uh, it sounds, with Lucy's symptoms upon her return home, it sounds like it might be uh, pretty um, overwhelming for her. There's a lot of changes for her. So we, in, in going into this transition in home, she probably has a lot of questions. How am I going to get back to my usual routine of things? So it's important to note that the, the very first thing is to important to note that this is a transition and that expectations are that she will be getting better. The other thing for, I, I would really encourage her to know is that she does have support from the medical community and to really rely upon that support, reach out to that support um, as she makes this transition. So most likely uh, in, the, in the flow of things these days, um, she will be recommended to have a home health occupational therapist come into her home. Um, by and large, that person will start within a, a short period of time with her getting back home, so maybe within a day or two. Within that day or that first day or two before she sees a professional, um, keeping in mind the advice that she was given by the therapist in the hospital um, is a good idea. And also, just kind of taking a, um, an assessment of her own home and removing any obstacles that might get in the way, um, making, you know, rearranging furniture if need be, picking up floor rugs that, that might get in the way now that she's using a walker, even that even though that's on a temporary basis. Um, just making making her pathway through the home as comfortable and easy as possible because that's going to help her manage the fatigue and some of the overwhelmingness of coming home. So once she starts with the outpatient therapist, um, they will be a lot more specific uh, with her and forming a plan together with her and, and getting her started in specific rehabilitation for the exact needs that she has. So this is where some of the strengthening and coordina coordination exercises will become much more specific for her. Um, the occupational therapist is going to be concerned with how is she doing um, in cooking and, and what what specific problems is she having with cooking? Is it uh, the coordination issues with, with cutting and chopping or lifting and carrying? And so they will brainstorm together and, and troubleshoot. Um, and that may be another time when some more tools or adaptations can be recommended so that she can begin 
resuming her normal life and her normal chores um, as soon as possible. Again, some of these uh, solutions or adaptations may be temporary and be just a part of her transition as she's returning to her baseline level of care. So this often may take a short amount of time um, where she has a home health therapist for maybe a week, uh, maybe two or three visits. And if, if, uh, if an exacerbation is mild, it may be one or two visits and then the um, then therapist will recommend an outpatient therapy program. All right, great information from the occupational therapist side. But now Lucy, she might also need to work with a physical therapist when she's at home. So Mandy, what would a first visit with an outpatient physical therapist look like? Thanks for asking, Rachel. I think, again, it's important to note the different levels and different stages of, of rehabilitation. And, and Julianne spoke wonderfully about home health physical therapy. So often one, or rehabilitation rather, home health rehabilitation. Once people get through that, then they're often referred to an outpatient setting. So a first outpatient physical therapy visit would often involve a really comprehensive evaluation of strength, walking, or wheel mobility if applicable, balance, coordination, sensory input such as visual motor input, uh, touch sensation, that body awareness or movement awareness. It's a very thorough, comprehensive evaluation of where that person is at at that time. Lucy and I would have lengthy conversations about her previous level of function and her current mobility at work, home, within the community. It's really important for me as a physical therapist to understand what her goals are, what activities are important to her and, and what she's been able to do um, or what she desires to return to after this relapse. PT sessions can be as often as three times a week or as little as once a week. And again, that, that varies depending on the severity of the relapse as well as the, the goals that she might have. But a typical session might involve exercises um, and activities to help optimize that movement and help Lucy achieve those goals. So for for example, if she wants to help minimize her foot drop, which would be a priority for her so that she can avoid tripping on the carpet in the living room, we may do different strengthening exercises, different stretching exercises, and talk about how to restore the proper gait mechanics to help her minimize that foot drop. Um, but I would also like to add a common challenge with exercise prescription during a relapse is knowing how hard to work during exercise. Uh, people feel very different. They're, they're trying to learn how to exercise in a body that is evolving, that feels very unfamiliar, and this, this feeling and this sensation can be really frustrating for patients as well as their families. So the general rule that I like to follow or encourage people to think about is something called a two-hour rule, that if you don't feel as good two hours after exercise, as you did before you started, then you did too much. So in other words, you should feel back to your baseline within two hours or so after an exercise routine. But I would really, again, encourage people to talk with their physical therapists and their occupational therapists to help, help them understand when to clue into certain symptoms that would uh, signify that they have simply done too much exercise. 
All right, great. Yeah, great information to explain the rehab team's role in adjusting a person back into their home life. So now, uh, for those who don't have access to an occupational therapist or a physical therapist, how can you utilize your current healthcare team or other resources when you're recovering from a relapse? And Julianne, would you want to take that? Yes, you bet I would. Um, I, I would also like to, to just thank Mandy for going over um, when it's when when to discover when you have worked too hard because that is such a tricky tricky uh, thing and can can feel very frightening if you've kind of overdone it a little bit. So that two hour rule is is such a is such a great tool for understanding how to how hard to work. So thank you for that, Mandy. Um, so if you don't have access to an occupational or physical therapist in your community, um, it's and, and you're feeling a little lost about being at home or you feel like you might need some more support, it's a good idea to talk to your neurologist your or your primary care physician um, or nurse practitioner. They may have access um, to individuals in the community who, who can specialize in some form of rehabilitation or give you some support. Um, and, and it's important at this point in time to know that you can reach out and access some support. It's also uh, important to know if you have, re if say Lucy gets home and she's just not feeling like she's doing very well, um, maybe she was discharged from all services and she feels like she's really struggling, not not making a lot of headway toward getting better, um, then then that's a good reason to contact your primary care physician or your neurologist and say, ah, you know, things just aren't going as smoothly, things aren't going as well. I think I really need a little bit more support. Often um, it, it is us, the, the clients or the patients, that can advocate the best for ourselves and, and we know where we are in relation to our baseline, to how we're feeling now. So I really encourage people to, to advocate for themselves and ask for, for assistance rather than than quietly um, trying to struggle through a, a relapse. And Mandy, did you have any feedback on uh, other on how to utilize your healthcare team or other resources? I think that's an excellent recommendation that Julianne just made about encouraging people, especially during this time of uncertainty and unpredictability, to have encourage people to have their voice and to be their own advocate. So thank you, Julianne, for sharing that. I would also add that people can find individuals who understand or specialize in MS care by contacting the National MS Society. And the, the phone number is 1-800-FIGHT-MS. And when you call that number, you'll be connected with a call center and you'll speak with someone called an MS navigator and they can help identify those people in your area who would be able to help you in this particular situation. Other resources would be um, the American Physical Therapy Association or the American Occupational Therapy Association. Those two organizations can also help you identify physical therapists and occupational therapists, respectively, who uh, specialize in neurological rehabilitation. And I would also like to add for those folks that maybe um, don't have immediate access to information or just want a little bit of information about uh, relapses and how to modify your home, CAN-DO-MS has some really wonderful recordings, um, webinars specifically, with tips of how to manage your home and how to make modifications that may suit your needs. All right, 
Great information, ladies. Thank you. So now let's kind of uh, go back to Lucy. So now both Lucy and her husband are working full time. So now are there any options to help Lucy get to and from rehab since her husband, Michael, is working full time? And Julianne. Mm -hmm. So um, Family Medical Leave Act, or FMLA, is something that's going to be discussed in our next podcast in this series. And I think that will be a really important one um, to, to tune into um, just to see how that transition can, can be supported. Um, because it's going to be a, a very big transition. Once you come home, uh, both people are expected to be working full time. Um, Time management becomes a real issue, and fatigue management really becomes an issue, uh, really becomes important at this point in time. Briefly, I'd like to discuss driving modifications. For most people, uh, especially for those who live in the western United States, driving is uh, a, an, an enormous um, piece of being independent. So getting to and from work, taking the kids to and from school and the after-school activities, uh, when driving is something that has been impacted, uh, it can really, really take a chunk out of, of how somebody feels about their recovery and also their independence. So I, I want to mention that there are driving modifications that can be made to a car and really to how a person interacts with their car. Generally speaking, um, they can be temporary in in their usage. Um, most people will, if they are only going to need temporary assistance, will opt to put in a support network for driving. So that may be accessing a carpool within the community um, or within your child's uh, school system. Um, it may be uh, arranging rides for yourself um, that have been offered via friends or family. Um, to get to and from appointments or to and from work. Um, more permanent driving modifications are, are usually when people are going to need them for a long period of time. And I think what's important for people to know is that they're out there and that they're extremely effective. So you can have modifications made to your car, whether that's hand controls or a lift system to bring a, a scooter into your chair. Um, then there is financial assistance for for getting uh, those kinds of uh, modifications to your car. So I think it's an important thing to to discuss. Um, as an occupational therapist, one of my favorite topics is fatigue, and fatigue management for Lucy and for her husband Michael at this stage is going to be really critical for them. Um, the most important thing I want to bring about right now is that that fatigue management thinking and tools. Um, at this stage, need to be very flexible. Um, so that's an important piece of this in terms of mental and physical recovery, um, to know that from day to day, you may need to use different strategies, and from week to week, you may need to use different strategies to manage fatigue. And that's okay, and it's actually preferable, because as Lucy regains control and strength and balance, um, she's going to be able to utilize different strategies. At the very beginning of her recovery, in the very beginning of her coming home, she's going to have to utilize a lot more strategies. Things like sitting down when she's doing meal preparation, uh, sitting down to shower or bathe, um, 
accepting assistance from people um, maybe to do grocery shopping, um, those kinds of things. As she regains her strength and motor control and balance, she can start resuming some of those chores. So the communication for her with her family member and with her support uh, network is really important. And I think probably the most important thing I would recommend is, is keeping that line of communication very open uh, for Lucy to be to to talk about what she does need and talk about what she doesn't need almost on a daily basis, just to just so that the, her support network uh, can be utilized for her to really maximize her recovery. Excellent. Yeah, great information. You know, fatigue management and driving modifications, communication, all very important things to to keep in mind when when dealing with a relapse recovery. So now we don't want to forget about Lucy's husband, Michael, and providing some support for him during his changing role during this relapse. So Mandy, how can uh, rehab support Michael? So I think, I think rehabilitation can support Michael in, in two general ways, particularly in the outpatient setting during the time when Lucy is participating in rehab, that's time when he can hopefully have a little respite. He can go off and do something that he needs to do, whether it be self-care for himself or run some errands for the family, but that would give him a chance to to have some time independent of, of caring for Lucy. But I would also encourage him separate of the conversation because he's living with MS too. He's living with MS in a slightly different way, but he's living with MS. And my guess is this relapse has really shaken his world. So I would encourage him as a side to seek out that other support, whether it be through the National MS Society or through some resources that Can Do MS has for support partners to kind of learn and digest and figure out how, how this looks for him now that they've experienced this significant relapse. And to echo what Julianne had said, I think it, Rehab also offers the opportunity for Lucy's husband to understand how and when to help. So how and when to allow Lucy the opportunity to try to do something independently on her own at home or when it's like, hey, Lucy, I've got to help you with this so that we can keep you safe. But opening that line of communication and rehab being that that facilitator and that guide for what need, what activities need assistance and what activities can be done independently. And again, as Julianne alluded to, often these roles are really temporary. Um, so it's often very important, again, to emphasize that communication and have those open conversations with one another. And I would also like to add one other thing. We haven't spoke about the children, right? So they have a couple kids and they're probably wondering, hmm, like what's What's going on with mom? Like a lot has changed for her. So I think as a rehabilitation team, we are privileged with a lot of time with our patients, right, Julianne? So yes. this is an, an opportunity for us to also give education to the parents of other resources of how to communicate and how to talk with their children with these changes that mom may be experiencing, especially if they're old enough to understand and, and ask questions about it. And the National Mess Society does have some resources for how to talk with children and how um, parents can talk with their, their loved ones about what's going on with their MS. 
I, I think that um, use, utilizing, encouraging Lucy and Michael to utilize their rehabilitation team is an awesome suggestion. And it, um, during Lucy's rehabilitation, it might be a good time for Michael to have a, a, a bit of a break, um, maybe run some errands. But I think at the very beginning and maybe periodically, maybe once a week or so, um, during Lucy's rehabilitation, it might behoove Michael and Lucy to attend um, an entire session together, or even if Michael is uh, included in her rehab session, maybe the, for the first 10 or 15 minutes. That way they can bring up maybe if there's a thorny issue that has ar arisen, Lucy, Michael has taken over a chore maybe that Lucy would like to, to, to take tr back charge of, or maybe to smooth out some communication. Um, an experienced therapist can really help them, help facilitate that for them. So that's one of the suggestions I would make for Michael. Um, during this time too, we, as you, as you said, we, we need to discuss the, the children's role in, in all of this. Um, it, one of the things that was mentioned is that, that Lucy is usually helping the kids with the homework. That's usually her role. Um, and maybe due to fatigue or source of cognitive symptoms and her exacerbation, she's not doing that as often. So it's, Stressful then at that point in time, obviously, that the kids aren't getting what they may need. So um, tapping into your community resources is a really good idea. So whether that be um, uh, fellow fellow uh, parents or often schools will have after-school tutoring assistance available or even an after-school program where uh, children can have access to their teacher, that might be a time to really tap into that resource. Um, preparing the kids and talking openly in the family about what is going on, that an exacerbation is, is, uh, usually temporary and, and, and involving the children in that conversation, involving them in home chores to help mom out can often be, uh, very helpful rather than kind of everybody kind of going into hunker mode and doing things for themselves. So keeping an open line of communication, um, reaching out to the community or to family and friends can really be uh, helpful at this point in time. Excellent. Yeah, you know, developing your support network and utilizing your rehab team, making sure you have a focus on communication, all really key pieces to, to make note of when you're recovering from a relapse. So thank you both for emphasizing those key areas. So now to close out our discussion on relapses and how they affect your home life, what advice would you give to those living with relapsing remitting MS who are fearful of the effects of a relapse? And Julianne, would you want to take that first? Yes, you bet. So probably the, the, the first thing I would say is uh, plan for unpredictability, which sounds a little bit ridiculous, like it's unpredictable by nature, right? How do I plan for that? Um, if you are approaching something with the idea that, that you can put a, a plan in place um, or that, that you know things are going to be unpredictable, maybe a little bit up and down, having several strategies in place beforehand to deal with that as it comes along can really give you a lot of peace of mind and gives you a lot of, of, of flexibility in your thinking and, and gives you a lot of resources, um, kind of stable resources 
from which to draw in order to to weather those unpredictable situations. Um, I think it's really important um, if you if people haven't started putting um, a support network in place to begin loosely conglomerating a support network. And that can be anything. That can be becoming familiar with, with the Can Do MS website. That can be familiar with, with um, the, the, the National MS Society. Um, that can be talking to friends or family about what you might need. Um, and the idea is that, that people can fluidly step in and step out um, as you need and setting up those expectations with your friends or family um, that sometimes you may need some help with grocery shopping. Um, sometimes you might need some help with home chores or with driving. Many In many circumstances over the course of, of being a rehab therapist, um, people will tell me that friends or family really want to be able to help. And often when us as individuals make the suggestion, hey, I could really use your help with grocery shopping or taking the kids to swimming lessons or whatever, people are really delighted to be able to jump in and help. So if you can drive that, um, that can really be peace of mind for you and peace of mind for your support network. Um, it's usually much less frightening to go through something that's difficult if you have some sort of a plan and that plan is able to shift. Um, but Mandy, what would you recommend in this instance? I like your recommendation of, of planning for unpredictability, right? To echo your comments, Julianne, the unpredictability can be a lot less frightening if those plans have been discussed well in advance. And those army of, that army of people who, who can be successful at the tasks that you ask them to help you with can really ease that um, anxiety for, for everyone involved. And I would also agree, everyone wants, generally speaking, people and friends want to help during that time of crisis, but to make those important decisions in that crisis mode um, don't, doesn't necessarily lend itself to the best decisions. So I think it's important to make those plans well in advance. And again, I would also echo that, that those resources beyond just your friends and family can also include your, your healthcare team and those trusted resources like CANU MS and the National MS Society can also provide a lot of those um, those uh, connections and help you just reassure people as they're 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 navigating this unfamiliar territory and this frightening territory, both for the person living with MS and their loved ones. So again, everything is less uh, frightening if you have a plan for that unpredictability. All right. What a great discussion. Uh, thank you both to Julianne and Mandy for being here today and sharing this really valuable information to help those living with MS pre prepare for the effects that relapses can have on one's home life. So thank you again, ladies. And thank you so much, Rachel. I can do MS and Mandy. It's been a productive conversation and I enjoy the opportunity to, to discuss situations that can be challenging for people and I, I am uh, looking forward to having further conversations in the future. And I would also like to thank Julianne and Rachel and Candu MS and all of our listeners. Uh, we wish you all health and happiness. Thanks for joining us.
This podcast is part of the Relapse and MS series, a collaborative initiative led by Can Do MS and Malincrod to better understand how MS relapses can impact your home, work, and relationships. Please remember to listen to all three podcasts in the Relapse and MS series, which are available on our website and Apple Podcasts. We also encourage you to view our Relapse and MS webinar, which is available on our website, cando-ms.org slash relapse. Thank you for joining us.